Welcome back, friends and enemies, to the Dream On podcast. This is Jennifer, your host. And today's episode is something that I think that many people would like to know more about. Um, Today, we're going to talk about sleep paralysis. And sleep paralysis is interesting because, like many of the topics we seem to cover here, um, there's just not a lot of data on it. And it's not because um, not that many people experience it, because it actually appears that um, a vast like group of people do experience it. And that's just confusing. That makes it more confusing about why there's no research. But um, I guess it's similar to lucid dreaming in that maybe it's just hard to understand or maybe people just don't care enough because it's not like a threat in any way. Um, so I guess I'll just open with that. Sleep paralysis is not um, bad for your health. There's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing about sleep paralysis that's physically detrimental to you. So if you are someone who suffers from sleep paralysis, then, um, you don't need to worry about the paralysis, like being, um, bad for your body or like bad for your brain or anything like that. Like physically you are completely fine. Sleep paralysis is more mentally traumatizing than physically traumatizing. So, um, it's, I, I think that's also helpful for if you're in an episode of sleep paralysis because they're often pretty scary. Um, I think it's good to remember that physically you are okay, even if you don't feel like you're okay or you don't think you're okay. Truly you are. So um, I think that would be a good mantra. And um, just to open this up a little bit more, um, open this up a little bit more, <laughs> just um, continuing this kind of intro that we're rolling with, um, I do want to say as a disclaimer, first of all, I'm not a medical doctor. I just finished my first year in college. I am, by all means, purely a high school educated child. Do not come for me. I cannot give you medical advice. This is literally just, I Googled some stuff and then I compiled my own document of random facts. Like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. And if you have problems, you need to talk to your physician, not to me, because I can't help you. I'm sorry. This is more just to get like general information out there so that more people are aware of sleep paralysis and then then they understand it better. This is more like general public. I cannot help you specifically. I cannot help you with your issues. Um, And also, I've never experienced sleep paralysis personally um, because uh, I don't know. I mean, they say that it's... um, I think they say it's genetic. I might be getting it mixed up with um, sleepwalking because that's going to be the episode after this one. I researched sleepwalking too. So if you're interested in that one, you should stick around as well. But uh, I I believe that sleep paralysis also is, uh, if people in your family have experienced it, then you're more likely to experience it as well. So um, I am going to do my like kind of long update thing at the end of the episode because I think Uh, I've been doing it too much at the beginning and it's a little bit annoying. So now I'm just going to continue talking about sleep paralysis and all the random garbage I want to say, I'll say at the end. So let's start from what is essentially the beginning. What is sleep paralysis and who is experiencing sleep paralysis? So sleep paralysis as um, a concept, as what it is, is when you wake up from sleep and you cannot move your body. You are paralyzed. And many people who experience sleep paralysis also report that it feels like there's something on their chest, like they can't breathe. 
you are more likely to experience sleep paralysis if you're asleep on your back. And so like your stomach is up, you're facing the ceiling. Uh, you're more likely to experience it in that sleeping position than if you were sleeping, say, on your side or on your stomach. And it's often, uh, for many people, accompanied by like uh, scary sounds or visions, like images of maybe people in the room, monsters in the room. And it's really terrifying because when you have sleep paralysis, obviously you're paralyzed. So you can't move, but you hear like strange whispers, you see strange like creatures moving around the room. And so it's a really scary thing to go through. Uh, thankfully, it doesn't normally last very long, maybe uh, 30 seconds to a few minutes. I think uh, no, I won't even say the longest because then people will freak out. It's just not very long, um, typically. So uh, no matter what, though, like I said at the beginning of this episode, physically, you are okay. Like, totally, you're fine. There are no lasting physical effects from sleep paralysis. At no point would you wake up paralyzed and then just be paralyzed forever. It's always a temporary sensation. And we will get into more of why in just a moment. But first, what I'm sure everyone's wondering is, okay, but what is the paralysis? If it's not some lasting thing, then why the heck can't I move? So um, here's the deal. What happens when you're asleep, specifically when you're in REM sleep, um, something happens. And this process is called atonia, or perhaps it's atonia and people are going to make fun of me for mispronouncing it, which go ahead. It's fine. Just bully me. But um, so atonia is a brief loss of muscle con muscle control that happens right after falling asleep or um, in this case, after waking up. So uh, atonia in and of itself is pretty complicated. They actually don't even know what causes it, which of course, that's the theme. So they could never know. But um they think that it has something to do with maybe the chemicals in your brain, something about the neurotransmitters being blocked. Like, no matter what it is, um, it's what your body does to prevent you from acting out your dreams. And that's going to come into play again in the next episode uh, when we talk about sleepwalking. So um, sleepwalking, let's just talk about that really quickly right now because it makes sense. They're like sleepwalking and sleep paralysis are really like they're related. They're basically the inverse of each other because sleepwalking is when atonia doesn't happen at all. And so, you know, you're acting out what you're doing in your dreams. So maybe you're dreaming that you're doing the dishes and in your sleep, you get up and you go start doing the dishes. And so physically you're doing what you're, what you think you're doing in the dream. And there's just, there's no disconnect where there should be a disconnect. Atonia should have kept you from going downstairs and doing the dishes. And that's what would have happened if you were sleeping normally and correctly. But instead, you got up and you did the thing you thought you were doing in the dream. So, um, but then sleep paralysis is when the atonia works, I guess, too well or it just doesn't switch off. So when you wake up, um, your brain doesn't stop blocking the signals. So it's still, your body is still blocking the signals from reaching your limbs. So there's nothing that you can do because your mind still thinks that you're asleep or your body still thinks you're asleep. And so it doesn't want you to get up and like hurt yourself doing something. But um, instead, you're actually awake. And so you start freaking out because you don't understand what's happening. But that's what's happening. It's that your body's actually trying to protect you. It's just uh, that in this case, it's not uh, doing a good job because it's mentally uh, scarring you in some cases. 
uh, sleep paralysis can be very scary for many people. And if you experience it, I apologize. It does not sound fun. So like I said, Atonia helps people not act out their dreams and sleep paralysis uh, is when that goes just a little too far because now you're awake and you're still not acting out what you want to do. So under normal circumstances, Atonia ends right when you wake up. But um, in this case, that's not happening. So as a result of this um, whole thing with Atonia, right, um, researchers believe that sleep paralysis involves a mixed state of consciousness. And this also has to do with when it happens, uh, like right when you fall asleep or right when you wake up. It's like uh, at the beginning of the night's sleep or at the end of the night's sleep is typically when people experience sleep paralysis. And guess what? That's also typically the time when you're having REM sleep. And REM, if you remember, rapid eye movement, that's the time when you dream as well. So sleep paralysis uh, is often experienced around the same time that you're dreaming, but in this case, you wake up. And that would make sense as well for why your brain is having trouble interpreting whether or not you're awake because it's they're so close in your sleep cycle that you're basically just waking up at the wrong time. Like because your mind thinks that you're still dreaming even though you wake up and you're like, whoa, 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 what is happening? So um, as I was saying, they think that sleep paralysis involves a mixed state of consciousness and it's blending wakefulness, right, consciousness lucidity and REM sleep. So the deal is like your mind is so confused at this point. It doesn't know if you're awake or asleep because uh, you're looking around, right? And you're physically in your bed looking around your room. But um, in effect, the mental imagery that comes from REM sleep, the actual dream stuff basically gets overlaid in reality. So like that's how these weird monsters and voices and stuff ha like come about when you when some people are sleep sleep paralyzed is that what it is when people experience sleep paralysis because the dream factory part of your brain that produces those illusions is still working because your mind doesn't know if you're awake or asleep so it's doing its best to accommodate you um, as if you're still asleep even though you are in fact awake and you're processing what's going on. So all the weird things that are happening, you know, your mind is just still working as if you're asleep and it's creating basically like dream figments of whatever they may be, monsters, voices. Some people actually experience sleep paralysis where it's pleasant and or blissful. You just don't hear about those. Um, I was surprised to learn that in my research because I've never even heard a story about that and I couldn't even find someone's personal story. So um, actually, let's just say really quickly, if you have experienced sleep paralysis, period, I would like to hear more about that. And um, maybe I can share some of the things you say on the podcast if you give me permission. But um, specifically, if you've ever experienced sleep paralysis in a good way where something good happened, um, I would like to hear about that too, because that's really interesting. And people don't talk about that ever. So um, back to the point. When you experience sleep paralysis, you're experiencing atonia while being awake and conscious and also seeing REM-induced hallucinations despite no longer being in REM sleep. So everything is converging at the same time and you're conscious for all of it. So that's why you freak out because you get to see all this weird stuff that's going on, um, all your brain, your brain stuff. So um, Going back to like when you experience sleep paralysis, you know, it's going to be at the beginning or end of the sleep cycle typically. 
Um, so, I mean, depending on when you go to bed <laughs> and when you wake up, that's going to be different for you, but, um, it's beginning and or end of the sleep cycle. And, um, it's interesting as well because sleep paralysis is most likely to occur for people during their adolescence. So, um, a lot of people will experience it during, uh, adolescence, uh, slash puberty, and then sometimes it continues through like that period until they finish uh, puberty slash adolescence. Uh, or for some people, you know, it continues or they get it every now and again. But um, it is not necessarily a sign that there's something wrong with you. It's like I said, it's not physically detrimental to your body. There's nothing in sleep paralysis that can create lasting negative effects. Um, at least they've found, you know, it's like I, I couldn't say that for sure because they haven't done a lot of research on it, but it appears that there's nothing that's actually um, going to take effect later or anything like that. But um, you do need to be aware that some conditions can cause sleep paralysis. So it's uh, kind of a side effect, like certain medications can cause sleep paralysis. So if you start a new medication and then you experience sleep paralysis and you never have before, could be because of your medication. So if that's the case, talk to your doctor. Um, and also narcolepsy specifically um, is something that causes a lot of sleep paralysis. So um, narcolepsy, for those of you who don't know, it's you can't control when you fall asleep. So maybe you'll be you'll just be going about your day, you're in the grocery store, and then boom, you fall asleep. And then you wake up and you're like, whoa, I'm still at the grocery store. It's just uh, you nod off uh, to an excessive amount. Like people with narcolepsy, I don't think they can drive because, uh, they could literally just fall asleep while driving. And, uh, that would be bad as you can imagine. So sleep paralysis then can be a side effect of things, or, um, in most cases, um, I believe it's most cases that it's not, and it's just, um, an isolated incident and in these cases, when it's not caused by anything, it's just kind of happening, it's called isolated sleep paralysis. And that's what it's called when the paralysis isn't caused by an underlying condition and it's not a side effect. So I guess that's normal sleep paralysis. It's called isolated sleep paralysis. And that doesn't mean that it only happens once. It's not that it's an isolated incident. Um, it's called isolated because it's just not being caused by anything. So it's happening on its own. And um, here at this part of my research, um, you know, I was like, well, how many people actually experience sleep paralysis, period? And uh, this is when I was confronted with the fact that um, truly people have no idea. And uh, I think it's because like lucid dreaming, people don't talk about sleep paralysis. But um, I think to an even more extreme extent, because sleep paralysis is really scary. And um, sometimes people think that uh, like they're seeing demons, like people get really freaked out because it's a terrifying experience. But um, I'm telling you right now, thankfully, I do not believe that's the case. I believe that um, your brain is just working overtime and unfortunately, it's really freaking you out. But uh, sleep paralysis, I was looking for what percent of people experience sleep paralysis and I checked multiple sources to try to figure out if maybe just one of them was wrong. But um, I found anywhere from 2% to 40% of the population have experienced sleep paralysis at some point. So um, I think that typically uh, for most things, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So um, 
probably going to go with somewhere between 2% and 40%. Somewhere in the middle of that is probably the most accurate statistic. But um, truthfully, I don't know. You don't know. The scientists don't know. So we are left to guesstimate ourselves. <laughs> so take a survey at your workplace. <laughs> just ask, hello, have you ever experienced sleep paralysis? <laughs> really just freak out your coworkers. So um, when someone experiences uh, multiple episodes of sleep paralysis, uh, they call that recurrent sleep paralysis. And that like recurrent sleep paralysis period just means when you have experienced multiple episodes and that is independent of whether it's um, caused by something else or you're just experiencing experiencing it on its own. Like anytime there are multiple episodes, they say, oh, recurrent episodes of sleep paralysis. So um, most commonly uh, when there are recurrent episodes and the paralysis is isolated, so it's not caused by anything, they call, um, they call it uh, RISP, so recurrent isolated sleep paralysis, or they just say RISP. So RISP is the most common kind of sleep paralysis where you experience it multiple times and it's not caused by any underlying conditions or medications. So if you're someone who experiences sleep paralysis, um, I guess commonly or just um, enough that it's obviously it's enough that you're looking at or you're listening to this podcast. So uh, now you can say, yeah, I have recurrent isolated sleep paralysis. Uh, I have RISP. So that's kind of fun. So um, again, RISP uh, involves isolated or sorry, it involves ongoing instances of sleep paralysis in someone who does not have narcolepsy. And um, my main source for most of the stuff that I'm saying is sleepfoundation.org. Um, I have never seen their site before, but I liked it a lot. And then I used it for this episode and the other one. So if you're looking for uh, more information, sleepfoundation.org. Um, I really liked a lot of the stuff they had and they were like, they, the whole thing was reviewed by like a medical doctor. Um, it seemed really legit. So that's why I use them as my main source. Now, um, sleep paralysis in general is classified as a parasomnia, which is an overarching term for what abnormal sleep behaviors are called. So sleep paralysis, um, sleepwalking, talking in your sleep, all parasomnias, um, because they're just abnormal or um, unusual sleep behaviors. And uh, looking at my document right now, I've already covered what atonia is. We already know what that is. Okay, so now sleep paralysis. Um, I've mentioned a few times that uh, it's scary. It's accompanied by hallucinations. But for people who experience such scary things, uh, don't worry because like I said, no lasting effects, but also you're not alone. There are a lot of people who experience the same thing. So an estimated 75% of sleep paralysis episodes involve hallucinations that are distinct from typical dreams. So they are spooky. And um, it's uh, you call it something different when they experience um, all of this when they're falling asleep. Uh, if you experience paralysis while you're falling asleep, it's called hypnagogic hallucinations. And then if you experience all this when you're waking up, it's called hypnopompic hallucinations. Um, and that's spelled exactly how it sounds. It's But it's H-Y-P at the beginning. So hypnopompic 
hallucinations. And that's a C at the end, not a CK. It's a C. So if you're looking to spell it now, you know how. But um, these hallucinations that people experience uh, during paralysis uh, fall into three different categories. Uh, so these are the categories that um, you can define most of the hallucinations as falling into one of the three. So um, first up, intruder hallucinations, which involve the perception of a dangerous person or presence in the room. So these are the ones where people are like, they see, uh, you know, someone sitting in the chair at their desk looking at them. They see someone walking beside them back and forth, like anything that's just some sort of presence in the room that is hostile that they think is like out to get them or just some sort of negative energy. That's going to be the intruder hallucination. And then, like I said, there's the trust. Wow, I can't speak and I have a podcast. Uh, I've said that like six times, too. Um, so the second kind is chest presser, presser, pressure, chest pressure hallucinations. Apparently I can't say that. Um, and I mentioned that before as well. It's just where some, you feel like something is sitting on your chest and it's keeping you from breathing. Um, so it's, that one is especially scary because you can't move and you also feel like you're suffocating. Um, but you are in fact, okay. So do not worry. I know that it feels bad, but you can tell yourself with confidence that you're okay. Because um, like I said, 75% of sleep paralysis episodes involve stuff like this and everyone's okay. So you're going to make it. But um, chest pressure is often accompanied by an intruder hallucination. So you feel something on your chest and you see someone or something um, also in the room with you. And then um, this is interesting, this third kind, because um, people often talk about like out-of-body sensations when they're asleep, um, all that sort of thing, or all that sort of thing. Wow, you can tell this is going well. So um, this final one is like, it's called vestibular motor or VM hallucinations. Uh, and these include feelings of movement or out-of-body sensations. And feelings of movement, it's like flying, falling, you know, that sort of thing. So um, they experience stuff like that. I, I'm wondering when I'm reading this if um, astral projection, which is something a lot of people talk about in just the dream community as a whole, um, I'm wondering if astral projection falls into this category or not. But um, I don't know about that. I feel like astral projection is more of a lucid dream thing. But um, what do I know? Because I've never done it. So... Uh, but I feel like paralysis, because it's defined as being um, trapped in your body, I don't know if astral projection is something that I would consider to be a part of this. So um, and now, uh, getting back to what I was saying and not going on a little bunny trail, sidetracked. Um, so as you can imagine, if you have not experienced sleep paralysis, sounds pretty scary. Uh, sounds like no fun. So Atonia is often distressing and troubling hallucinations can make sleep paralysis episodes horrible. <laughs> so it's just all these factors coming together that it's just mentally, it's just a very trying experience. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable, except um, about 90% of sleep paralysis episodes are scary, but they think that 10% are actually like pleasant and they're fine. And I don't know at what point being trapped in your body and not being able to move would be defined as pleasant, but um, 
again, let me know if you're someone who knows what the heck that's talking about. But apparently it's only that vast, like there's the vast majority, right, that are defined by all of these things that I'm talking about. But then also there's a smaller minority that's less scary, so it's less talked about, but that's actually like a positive experience and it's fine. So it's just it's just interesting. And the fact that there are good and bad ones, I think that that really um, lends its voice to the idea that um, like your sleep paralysis experiences are all about your perception. Like um, on the same site that I was talking about earlier, they said that the perception of these episodes has been found to vary significantly based on a person's cultural context. So depending on how you've been raised, whether or not you're religious, what your culture is, your experiences um, being like being in sleep paralysis are going to be different from someone else's based purely on the culture that you each have. So, I mean, I can imagine like what they're talking about, just like extrapolating like what maybe your culture defines visions as being like if you're someone who believes in demons then of course seeing something spooky in your room that's going to be more likely to come to your mind than if you're someone who's like oh no that's not legit like it's going to be it's going to depend on who you are as a person but i think that that helps to make sleep paralysis less scary knowing that um much like lucid dreams and nightmares and stuff it really is just all in your head even though it's I think it's more terrifying probably to be paralyzed because you can't move and that's just no fun. So um, episodes of sleep paralysis last anywhere from a few seconds um, up to like average is five minutes. So, you know, five minutes that you're stuck, you can't move, you are hallucinating, but then it stops and you're fine and you can move and, you know, you don't see anything spooky, but you are thoroughly creeped out. Um, which in and of itself being scared um, causes you to hear and see things that aren't there sometimes. So I'm sure that sometimes it seems like it continues, but it has in fact stopped. So um, sleep paralysis, like I said, is associated with narcolepsy, but it's also associated with sleep apnea and other sleep disorders um, and actually jet lag. Interestingly enough, anything that affects your circadian rhythm and your sleep schedule um, anytime you disrupt that natural flow of sleep and how you normally fall asleep, that can cause or just um, like raise your chances of having sleep paralysis. Uh, so like anxiety disorders as well, um, it, like anxiety, lucid dreaming as well, because every just all of these things that affect your sleep cycle, even alcoholism can affect uh, or just alcohol consumption in general. But all of these things are things that can cause or induce or encourage sleep paralysis. So we've gone over so many things that can cause sleep paralysis, but how do you treat sleep paralysis? And that's what I'm going to talk about now. So the treatment of sleep paralysis, um, first of all, there's not that much research into it, period, but um, they, knew, they know a little bit about uh, treating it just because they know what causes it. So sleep paralysis is classified as benign. So it is scary for you. It's not fun. It's psychologically horrible and you should probably go to therapy, but you are physically okay. Um, assuming that it's not caused by underlying disorders. So 
people like I guess doctors strategies in fixing sleep paralysis is they look for those other things that cause it like sleep paralysis or whoa, like sleep apnea, narcolepsy, um, anxiety disorders, those things, they can treat them. And then typically um, they can help your sleep paralysis by treating those other issues, which is great because then you're actually getting better in multiple aspects. Uh, You know that those other things are working. And um, the number one treatment for RISP, I want you to guess what it is. I know that you know deep down inside. What is it that I always say that you really need to do? There's keep a dream journal, right? Just for lucid dreaming. I mean, there's keep a dream journal. And then also what's the other thing? Yeah. Get a healthy night's sleep. That is the number one thing that they recommend for treating sleep paralysis, assuming that it's isolated. You know, it's risk. It's recurring isolated sleep paralysis. They're like, okay, Here's what you need to do. You need to sleep better. And I know that that's so annoying and it just it's such a cop out. It's like, well, sleep better. Okay, how do I how am I supposed to do that? Well, um sleeping better, establish a bedtime routine, have a time where you're not on your phone anymore. Um you're you know, get off YouTube, um all that stuff like you have to shut off your mind. And you have to go to sleep properly because um, I think that people really underestimate the fact that they can do damage to themselves um, as far as how they sleep, how well they sleep, all that stuff. And if you're someone who experiences sleep paralysis, I talk about that all the time in this podcast. So just go back and listen to some other episodes. But sleeping is so important for your body and your mind. And I think that nothing else highlights that quite like sleep paralysis does. Um, And then assuming that you have or you are physically unable to have a healthy sleep schedule um, because you have some other disorder or something, um, they have um, shown that some medications can be used to treat sleep paralysis. Um, So you can turn to meds. But the thing is, the way that these medications work is by suppressing REM sleep. And REM sleep, um, I've gone over before, um, I don't know when it was, but REM sleep, they believe, is when your mind um, puts away long-term memories. And uh, it's when you process things that have happened throughout your day. So maybe you're stopping your sleep paralysis, but now you're, um, you're stopping your mind from doing other things that it needs to do. So it really is a trade-off, but um, you know, if you're already on those medications and you've already consulted you've already consulted your doctor and all that stuff, then obviously you just need to do what's best for you. Like every medication is going to have side effects, but you know, you got to do what's best for you, whatever it is. So this has been an episode on sleep paralysis. And I think that it's been quite successful. This was so much fun. And, uh, I have all my stuff set up to do sleepwalking. Um, I apologize because it's been, um, about a month since I did the last episode and I try not to let a full two weeks go by. But um, I've been busy painting my house, um, painting our house. I still live with my parents and I will for several more years because they are very kind and I want to save money while I'm going to college. So we've been painting our house um, to move to Texas and um, I 
a couple days ago, I sat in the sun. This is unrelated, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. Um, a couple days ago, I sat in the sun for five and a half hours um, and I had long sleeves and I was like, I'm fine. I know I'm white, but I, I can handle it. It's okay. And then I came home and my neck and um, like the top of the, you know, your collarbone in the front, like I don't know what the back part of your like neck is called that's like at the same level it's basically like the back side of my shoulder like the top of my shoulders like I am so burned it's really actually it's bad I that was like three or four days ago and I'm still like so swollen and it's like purple and it's just horrible so that's not fun, but I did learn embroidery out there. That's what I was doing. I was sitting with my friends um, and they were teaching me embroidery. So now I'm embroidering stuff and um, it's super fun if you've never tried embroidery, um, but you have patience, A+. Plus. And it's something you can do while listening to podcasts. That's what I do. I listen to podcasts and I'll embroider or draw and all that stuff. So if you're looking for something to do while podcasting other than like cleaning or driving, a plus on embroidery and like just other art stuff. Um, let me see what else I have. I I'm literally looking at a list, but it's far away, so I'm I am having trouble reading it. Um, oh yeah, okay. Um, I want to start another podcast <laughs> um, because I love lucid dreaming, but this is a really like niche um, topic thing. So like I love talking about all this stuff, and there's a lot more I can talk about. But um, because I go on these like rants at the end or beginning of uh, these episodes, I think that that is enough to tell you that clearly I want to talk about other things as well. So um, I'm talking to a friend and I don't know if we'll be able to podcast together, but uh, we talked about it. We kind of threw around the idea, but it makes it difficult that I'm moving. So um, we will see. But I do want to talk about other stuff. I just don't know what I would talk about. It took me a while to come up with uh, lucid dreaming as an idea, just so you know, um, which is interesting. You might not know that, but uh, I wanted to do a podcast, period. Um, the idea originally was not lucid dreaming. Uh, I didn't have an idea. I just thought, mm, I want to do a podcast. What's something I know a lot about and I'm passionate about? And I was like, oh, lucid dreaming. And now guess what? A ton of family and friends listen to this podcast. Um, people talk to me now and they're like, Jennifer, I listened to this episode. And then they ask me questions about it. And it's just, it's thrilling for me. I'm like, wow, people listen to this. And apparently they do. So thank you all very much for listening because I appreciate it. And I see the stats of when you do listen. So if you have sleep paralysis, um, I hope that this helped you feel a little bit better about it. Like I said, I've never experienced it before and I'm not a doctor, but, um, there is some research out there like sleepfoundation.org. As I said, I got a lot of information from them and um, I really liked uh, a lot of the things that they said on there. So that they have a really great like page on it. Um, if you want more information, definitely check that out. And of course, there are other sources as well. So thank you all and good night. <laughs>